Amen. 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 Thank you, Sanctuary Choir, for taking us so beautifully to the very heart of Christ. Would Jesus discriminate? It's a question that we're living with as a congregation and a question that we're posing to our community. And this month you'll be seeing that question on area billboards as we seek to challenge our community and indeed challenge our world. But it seems to me that as we answer this question or pose this question as a congregation, we're also called to live with this question personally. And so I find the question, would Jesus discriminate, to be an evocative question. For it evokes memories of how we have lived with that question throughout our lives. It evokes memories of times when we have felt that discrimination. And as I lived with this question, I found myself going back to one of my earliest memories of discrimination. And it came in a very, very subtle way. I was sitting in my grandmother's lap. I was about five years old in Lubbock, Texas. And uh, she was telling me how much she loved me. And she said, Dwayne, you're just growing up so fast. I wonder how much longer I'm going to be able to hold you. You're going to soon be too big. And you're going to be going to school. And you're going to go to high school and college. And you're going to get married. And then she kind of touched me on the nose. And she said, I wonder who you're going to marry. And without a moment's hesitation, I said, I'm going to marry Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> and and in, a, in a direct but gentle way, she said, no, you're not going to marry Chuck. <laughs> and I said, why not me, Ma? And she said, because boys don't marry boys. And I looked at her and I said, well, this boy is. <laughs> and she said, no, you're not, and someday you'll understand. In many ways, Meemaw was one of my first lenses through which I viewed Jesus. And in a subtle way, she was a lens through which I viewed even subtle discrimination. Because I'd given an answer that had come from the deepest part of me, but it was an answer that wasn't quite right. I knew that how we answer questions was really important in terms of how people viewed us. And if you answer a question wrong, you could face more than just subtle discrimination. Some people asked after 9 o'clock service, what happened to Chuck? Well, Chuck is now a grandfather married, living a very boring life in Richardson, Texas. <laughs> and I still see him every few years, but that's what happened to Chuck. Uh, but getting back to this idea of how we answer questions, um, I faced more blatant discrimination when... I was in junior high school. I'd moved from the small rural town of Denaire, California when I was in junior high to uh, the city of Sacramento. I'd gone from a very, very small school where everybody knew everybody to a junior high that had over 2,000 students. And it was my very first day at this new junior high school. And coming from Denaire, I, I, I think I was a little bit naive. I still was pretty innocent. And this guy sitting across from me was stunningly gorgeous. And I smiled. And at some point he looked at me, the new kid, and he said, what are you staring at? 
And being naive and innocent, I said, your handsome face. And the look he gave was one of utter rejection and utter repulsion. And he said, what's wrong with you? Do you, do you know who you are? Are you a faggot? I didn't quite know how to respond. They said, do you know what a faggot is? And again, being innocent and naive and what I thought was slightly clever, I said, well, I don't know what a faggot is. Maybe it's a new type of candy bar as far as I know. My new nickname became Candy Bar. And I found myself, based on that conversation, becoming the victim of bullying in its various forms. I don't know quite how it happened, but I ended up in Metal Shop as one of my classes. And uh, <laughs> I know you can't quite picture that, but, but we were in metal shop, and one of our projects was to make these metal uh, barbecue forks. And uh, you had to get the fork really, really hot until it was just red hot, and then you could bend it. And um, when we were doing this project, a group of guys in the class pulled me off into a corner, and they held one of these hot barbecue forks just inches from my skin. And they said, are you a faggot? And I was stunned. I couldn't quite answer the question. And before I could answer it, they said, are you a faggot? And as they asked it this next time, the, the fork was, was on, my, on my skin. And it left a scar that lasted for some time. Um, discrimination took on a new form that day. And as I felt the heat on my skin, I yelled, no. No, I'm, I'm not a faggot. No. I began to view Jesus a little bit through that lens, that um, unless you answered the questions correctly, um, you could end up burning and not just on your arm. I, I was afraid that if I thought the wrong thoughts, if I said the wrong thing, I would, I would end up literally burning in the fires of hell. Yes, Jesus discriminated if you didn't answer questions right and if you had the wrong thoughts. So I then devoted my life to being careful how I answered questions, being careful about my mannerisms, hiding who I really was. Wrong move and you get hurt, you get burned. So I became the good little Nazarene kid, showing up every Sunday with my Bible, memorizing scripture, going to Bible camps, going to Bible quizzes. If they asked for volunteers, my hand would go right up. In fact, it would go straight up. <laughs> I was trying so hard to be the good little kid. And the Jesus I saw during this time was a Jesus who um, loved me as long as I did everything right. And I would describe this Jesus as the Jesus of tolerance. Tolerated me. Something was wrong with me to have these kind of feelings. And um, the God who created me was a God who had to tolerate me. I uh, oftentimes did pretty well. I could, I could do what needed to be done, but I was going through puberty at that time. And as I looked through the Bible, I found out that no matter how hard I tried, there was one sin I committed at least daily. And that was the sin of lust. <laughs> I mean, when you're in puberty, you can't quite help it. And so I would find myself hoping and praying I wouldn't like lust at the wrong moment or like lust while having a car accident because then I would die and it would all be over. 
And so I would have these thoughts and these feelings and I'd pray for God to forgive me and I'd have these feelings and I'd pray for God to forgive me and it was so difficult and so miserable and so painful that I found myself getting angry at a God who would create someone like me. And God, why would you create somebody just to tolerate them? But I couldn't quite answer that question. So these were miserable, difficult years. Even though I was sitting on the front row in church every Sunday, even had a little tape recorder. I'd tape the services and then during the week I'd go back and analyze the sermons and memorize the scriptures and do all this stuff trying to be perfect. It's kind of like the scripture that you see today in Philippians where Paul tried so hard to live the letter of the law, to do everything right, to be perfect. This whole desire to be the good kid, the kid who God could love, eventually had some role, I think, in my call to ministry. Part of it was about trying to please God. And so I went to Nazarene Seminary. And while in seminary, I found myself continuing to wrestle with this question. I would find myself wondering, why did God call me to ministry when I had these kind of feelings that, quote-unquote, normal people don't have? Oftentimes, I would go to the chapel and I would kneel on that little altar rail with the red velvet cushion. I'd say, why? Eventually, I started going from that little altar, that little kneeling rail to the seminary library where I would go through the academic journals. And I began to have some hope because there were scholars out there who were talking about how scripture had been misunderstood and misinterpreted. And when you look at the original languages, they're not talking about homosexuality. And I would read those and I'd say, well, maybe I am okay. Maybe I am all right. And sometimes I would, I would feel this little bit of hope. And the debate would go in that direction. And I would say, maybe God does accept me. But then I'd get in my car and I'd put on the Christian radio station and I'd hear some preacher bashing gays. And something in that voice and something in the way it said made sense to me. Maybe it was touching all those memories from when I was a good little junior high kid and a good little Nazarene kid. But I'd find myself confused. And uh, so it went back and forth. Every day of my life felt like this big debate. Pulled one way one day and pulled one way another day. And I would say that at this point in my life, God had moved from a God who just tolerated me to a God who accepted me. The idea was, okay, I really am a sinner, but God's uh, grace covers my sin, and I'm accepted. So it had kind of moved from subtle discrimination to blatant discrimination back to kind of a subtle discrimination. Again, it was a time of incredible minister, m- misery. God, what are you going to do with this call? How is this going to work out? And at some point, the debate became so conflictive and so painful that um, I heard this voice, which I now say is the voice of the Holy Spirit, who invited me to try something different. And the invitation was this. For a while, for about six months, quit reading the scholarly journals. Quit talking to people who have this view of being Christian and gay and people who have this view of being Christian and gay. For a while, just put the debate on hold and just listen to Christ. Just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And every time you feel a little bit of fear, just hear a voice that says, I love you. And in fact, the invitation is this. For at least six months... Let's just go with the idea that God really created you to have these feelings. 
Just go with the idea that, that God didn't create you just to tolerate you or just to accept you. Just for six months, let's live with the idea that God created you and values you and treasures you and cherishes you. Let's go with the idea that God radically affirms you as you are. The minute you have a doubt, release it and receive the love in its place. I thought I'd give that invitation a try. It's the one thing I hadn't tried. I'd talked, I'd listened, I'd debated, I'd gone back and forth. Why not just go on this premise for six months? Those six months became a time of radical transformation. Because I found that when I opened my heart to the God who doesn't make mistakes, I found a God who met me in the deepest place. The word radical means right to the heart. It means right to the core. And what I discovered was that uh, when I opened my heart and let Jesus get to the core, Jesus then showed me his core. When I opened my heart, I saw Jesus' heart. And what I found was that I grew more spiritually than I had at any time in my life. All the scripture memorization, all the showing up, all the raising of hands, all the being the good little boy didn't work. But the open heart, it worked. What I love about the Gospels and the stories of Jesus is that they do get to the very radical core of who Jesus is. They help us see our, his heart. And what I love about today's scripture from Matthew is that uh, we see that Jesus' heart is just like many of our own. It's a story of of uh, one who experienced rejection and abuse and more rejection and more rejection. But that one is ultimately received. And ultimately in today's gospel, that who was rejected is ultimately the one who becomes the cornerstone for new truth. As I look into our community and into our lives, it seems to me that God is building a new church. And the new church is being built upon those who had once been rejected and abused. The new church that God is building is a church of unconditional love. A church of radical inclusion. A church of open hearts being transformed heart to heart. Would Jesus discriminate? Not when you get right to the heart. In fact, this Jesus is a Jesus who doesn't just tolerate and doesn't just accept, but radically affirms. I love the way that the moderator of our fellowship, Reverend Elder Nancy Wilson, talks about this idea of how Jesus does not discriminate. Jesus does not discriminate because he can't discriminate against his own. In Matthew 25, Jesus said he would always know how to find him. He lives today among the least of these. Those who are discriminated against, hated, devalued, or abused. Those who need food or clothing, shelter, or simply a visit. Those who need justice, hope, and understanding. Jesus is with a gay teen who is mercilessly teased and bullied at school. Jesus suffers with lesbians and gay men in Jamaica who are attacked and beaten in their homes. Jesus is with the undocumented worker who is threatened with deportation and having her family split apart. 
And Jesus is with those parents who suffer silently in a church that condemns their son or daughter and who agonize about their child's spirituality and safety. Jesus is with the child living with AIDS in Zimbabwe who can't get life-saving medications because of the expense. In our heart of hearts, we know that Jesus was incapable of this kind of cruel discrimination because it divides and harms. Hmm. And it's a heart thing. It's the heart of Jesus calling our hearts. I, I love the scripture from Philippians when it gets to the end. The first part can be a little bit uh, works righteousness oriented. But then towards the end of that scripture, the scripture writer says, don't keep looking back. Let go of the fear. Let go of the rejection. Let go of everything that's kept you from abundant living. And instead, move forward. Move forward into the deepest truth. Move forward into your dreams. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. Would Jesus discriminate? No. God did not create you to beat you up. God did not create you to make you afraid. God did not create you merely to tolerate you. God did not create you merely to even accept you. God created you to radically affirm you, to treasure you, to value, to hold you, to keep you, to inspire you, to motivate you, to invigorate you, to free you, to open you, to receive you, to release you, to fill you to overflowing in the name of a loving, creative, compassionate, loving God. It's a heart thing. Amen and amen.